Welcome to the Davidson Day Community Podcast. My name is Pete Moore, Head of School at Davidson Day. Each episode, you will meet different members of our supportive and diverse community. You'll hear fascinating stories from parents, board members, alumni, and the wonderful people who work at Davidson Day. In this episode of the Davidson Day Community Podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Maria Howell, singer, actress, and the latest addition to the music program here at Davidson Day. Maria teaches our first ever middle school chorus and co-leads our upper school contemporary ensemble with Noel Friedline. Maria walks us through her journey from singing at her childhood church in Gastonia, North Carolina, to appearing in films and traveling abroad to perform musically. All right, Maria, thank you so much for being here today. Well, it's a joy to be here. That's nice of you to say. So you were born and raised not far from here in Gastonia. That's correct. Welcome back to North Carolina. Thank you so much. Uh, Did you grow up in a family who also loved acting and were musically inclined? To be honest with you, they were all musically inclined. Nobody pursued it as a career. Okay. As far as acting goes, I think we were all actors. Uh My father and my mother were my first directors. Mm -hmm. I always tell people that as a joke, but in all honesty... There was such animation in our house, so everybody had their opportunity to have their say. And how did that play out? Did you just do plays at home and they would say, this is where you need to go? How would it work? I wish it were that glamorous. It was not. It it was usually, you stop talking, now you can talk. Okay. Uh, You stop talking, now you can talk. Yeah. No, and I wasn't even involved in drama in, in high school. None of that. I was I was singing, but I yeah. was not involved in drama. And so what were your earliest memories of performing? Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. Performing in church. Okay. Performing in school. And I was quite the introvert, and I was quite shy to sing in front of people, believe it or not. But those were my earliest recollections. I, Even before high school, I would always try to get the family together, my cousins, my sisters, and try to create some group Nobody was cooperating with me. <laughs> they could have been rich and famous by yeah. now, but nobody cooperated with me. They were like, ah, get out of here. I was the only one that was really, you know, insistent and persistent. Can you describe your journey from growing up in North Carolina to your first professional acting or singing roles? So you yes. mentioned you didn't do drama in high school. So how did you sort of start doing this for money? It, you know, that's a really interesting question. When I went to college at Winston-Salem State University, I, I continued my singing. Okay. I was not even in drama in college. But when I graduated, I think it was before I graduated, there was a group, the North Carolina Black Repertory Theater. I started doing some plays and musicals. I was more into musical theater Mm -hmm. than anything. And that led to people understanding that's what I wanted to do. And then The Color Purple came along. Mm -hmm. Someone said, go audition. I was like, I'm too shy to audition for something like that. I did. It was a cattle call. I don't know what I... I don't know what the part was because mm-hmm. they never told us. Okay. And um, before I left the scene, I think about 3,000 people had auditioned that day. It, I, it was an eight-hour day. Wow. And I was one of the last groups. Mm-hmm. And so when it was time to leave, the thing in me, I think that has sustained me all my life, I went to the casting director and I said, hey, do you mind keeping my picture? I was so shy. Do you mind keeping my picture? Not even a headshot because I wasn't that mm-hmm. far yet. Keep my picture on file. Oh, and by the way, I sing. Mm-hmm. That's how that happened. And what do you mean how that happened, right? So can you just talk us through the yeah. steps? Like you went to this large... Cattle call. Yeah, cattle call. <laughs> it was a cattle call. And when everybody was dispersing, I 
went to her by mm-hmm. myself. And when I said this to her, she's like, oh, okay, what do you sing? And I sang a song in her ear. That's how shy I was. I cupped my hand to her ear. I sang, and she's like, oh, do you know any gospel? And of course, yeah. you know, I had that flashback of like, not the kind you think. But uh, <laughs> I went and worked something out, came back, and that was actually my screen test. And I didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. I was that green. Yeah. Um, did that. I was satisfied. All I cared about was my photo, you know, I sing, remember me for the future, you know, in the yeah. future. And I went, I was working a job at my college and I went back the next day and I had a phone call asking to be a part of a movie. I didn't know what a color purple was. Yeah. I read the book on set. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know what, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, they gave us a little synopsis, but that was, that's pretty much in a nutshell how that happened. And what's your memories of, of that set and, mm-hmm. and just, I guess, that experience? It was... If you can imagine being so naive, you're so excited, but you were too naive to understand the the weight of it mm-hmm. and the value of it. But I, I do know that it was very valuable because there were people like Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Even Oprah Winfrey wasn't even famous at that point. Yeah. Richard Pryor's son was a PA. Wow. Then you had Margaret Avery. I had, I had seen her in some films and Quincy Jones and Steven Spielberg. And Gordon Parks, who's an amazing, he's deceased, of course, but he's a, a legend in photography and, and photojournalism and director. And I mean, so I knew who I was around. I was more excited about being in the atmosphere yeah. than, and Steven Spielberg, I have to give him a crown. The man knows how to make a non-actor look like an actor. Mm-hmm. You, you film that and it goes on just to be an internationally acclaimed film mm-hmm. and it's still highly regarded today. Mm-hmm. What was it like being associated with a project like that so young? You know, I I grew up in, a, in the environment of you never get too big for your own mm-hmm. head or whatever. So I was very humble about it. I was very appreciative about it. It was overwhelming mm-hmm. because... When you have a film like that and you're naive as I was, I didn't know where I fit in the film. I had no idea what that part was in context because when you're an extra, I was a featured extra, you don't get to read the whole script in those cases. So I didn't know the context of the whole, I just knew the book. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, books and movies, those are two different uh, stories. So when I was on set, I knew I was in a very privileged place. Mm -hmm. I knew I was amongst royalty. Mm -hmm. And so I was more into that than anything else. When I saw the movie, when it came out, when it was released, I literally cried. Not because I was so excited about it. I was so excited about the fact they didn't cut my seat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, my father, on the other hand, got up and had to walk out of the theater. And I was like, what? It's not like what I'm doing. He was so overcome with emotion. Mm. He cried yeah. to see his daughter on, on a screen like that. So it was, and then I went back to see it again to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, pretty much a big deal. And then what was your journey sort of the, the next few years after that? Which this is an interesting question because at the rap party, mm-hmm. of course, everybody's there and there was a band performing and I, someone said, you need to go sing a song with the band. I didn't know this this group of musicians, so they they coerced me to go sing a song. I did. 
The next day, I got a call from the band saying, can you come down to Charlotte, North Carolina and be part of our house band? I was more excited about singing than acting at that point. Now, of course, with The Color Purple, I'm singing as I'm acting, but at the same time, just being able to sing full time, that was, I was, I was fine. I I had arrived in my mind. (laughs) And then that was like going from no nights. I quit my job. I literally cried because I was, I didn't want to leave my job Mm. because I'm, I'm, I'm a loyal kind of person yeah. if if you've <laughs> if anybody's noticed. And I like to be committed to what I say I'm going to commit myself mm-hmm. to. So I cried. My boss said, if you don't go, you'll always have that question. Mm-hmm. Go. I went to sing with the band six nights a week. Oh my God. What a steep learning curve. Yeah. Because coming from no nights to six nights, I had learned how to pace myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was, I call them champagne problems mm-hmm. when you have that kind of choice and that option. So yeah, that's what I did. I started singing and five years later, I started to get back into acting. And then I started studying because I'm a pre-med major okay. in college. I, yeah. I, the biology and the chemistry, but I always sang and that's all what I wanted to do. And then you said five years later that led you to acting. Mm-hmm. What made you sort of, I guess, take that step again? It was a progression. It okay. was a natural segue because I had... I felt I had pretty much conquered what the singing thing was. Okay. And I knew I wanted to act, but singing was always number one at that point. Mm-hmm. So I started doing commercials. Then some TV shows came along. My my first director, and God, am I dropping names? My first director was Steven Spielberg. <laughs> my second director was George Lucas. Wow. I didn't know any better. Yeah. And then after that, it was not the same. It was like, wow, okay. So, but the beautiful part is, I knew what excellence was from mm-hmm. the very from the very beginning, and it has basically spilled over into other areas of my life. It's interesting you say that. I, if someone I used to work with, used the term professionally raised, and so mm. that ha- how you are professionally raised dictates a lot of how your career goes, and a lot mm. of that's just luck. Right, is that? Mm. And so my first experience in an independent school mm-hmm. was at this very established, now 170 years old school in Australia, and so the the standards were exponentially high, right? Mm. For a bit, what it meant to be a teacher, what it meant to how to get along with families, and that was just what I thought independent schools were. And I've worked at a few other since, and the, the next one I worked at, the standards weren't as high, and it was actually quite an adjustment. Going, oh. The thing I'd like to talk about now is just chasing your dreams. And so you've had such an exciting, varied, and successful career. What experiences in your life and career help you as a teacher to inspire your students? Oh, my gosh. The first day I walked the halls of this school, I literally almost cried. Ah. I loved school so much. Yeah. So I knew early in my life I wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to teach, but I wanted to. I stayed in touch with my fifth grade teacher until she passed away. I still stay in touch with my fourth grade teacher, my high school choir teacher. So I always admired, respected teachers. I thought that was the the highlight. Teachers and doctors, I, I loved. That has always been a part of what I've wanted to do. I, it's like I have so much information in my head. <laughs> I need to get it out. Mm-hmm. And this is the part of life and the time of life to do it. So can you talk about your, you said your high school choir teacher? Mm-hmm. You were singing at the time, you loved to sing, and that sort of made you keep in touch with them. Well, for one, just like we were talking about Steven Spielberg, or you saying that professional raising, Mm -hmm. she taught me things that have carried me through my life. Okay. And I knew then it was important because I respected her, but only by time 
do I understand, oh, she really knew what she was talking about. Because I could hang. By the time I got to college, my college professor, my choir director, said to me one day, if nobody knew it, they would, they would never guess that you were a science major. They'd think you were a music major. I didn't read music formally. Okay. Because I didn't play an instrument okay. growing up. Yeah. I didn't. My mother played the trumpet for a little while, and this was before I was born, so I never really saw her do that, but she could transpose music. Mm-hmm. And so she helped me. I would come home from high school. Even in the church choir, we sang on the same choir. And my church choir director was awesome. He was, he was excellent in the same way. So mm-hmm. everybody was excellent. And my mom would teach me how to sing harmonies. She would teach me how to do this. And we, uh, we, she really drilled me a lot. So I was prepared. Mm-hmm. By the time I got to college, you, you know, everybody thought I was a music major, which prepared me for the career. Yeah. I did jingles for a long time. And if no one knows what a jingle is, that's when you sing the commercial. Um, little singing, you know, like, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, you know, stuff <laughs> yeah, like <yeah>. that. <laughs> that's my signature song. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, so it, everything prepared me for the next thing. And I was very aware of that, mm-hmm. which I think that helped because I didn't just blow it off or anything. I was always serious about what I was doing. Jumping back a little bit, I didn't learn a musical instrument growing up. But then when I was in my early 20s, uh, well, actually at college, uh, when I was studying elementary teaching, they one of the, the courses is that we had to learn a musical instrument. It was like the recorder or the piano. And so I chose the piano and I ended up getting lessons from one of the other students who was studying music at my at my college. And then I got a, you know, started working and, and then I realized that pianos aren't very portable. So I started playing classical guitar but then I learned how to read music. And so I guess my question is something I've never really understood. And I grew up listening to the Beatles. My dad was a big fan. And we used to listen to the old vinyl and everything. And is that they didn't also know how to read music. Mm-hmm. I don't quite understand because for me, it's quite a methodical thing that I'm doing. And I don't necessarily know if I have an ear for it. Like, how can you learn to sing so well? without reading music? Or how do people learn how to write music so well without reading music? I just think they are two different species. Okay. In order you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some yeah. people are just born with that innate ability, mm-hmm. and some people, they need to learn it, but you can still be the same yeah. effectiveness with it. Um, to be honest with you, when I started professionally, I kind of went backwards. Okay. I went and studied. Okay. I took theory. Okay, yeah. I made 100 plus in the class. Well done. Because I was very serious about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to speak the same language as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody else knew that. I didn't. And yeah. so I, that was not good enough for me. Okay. I took theory. I took some other music classes. I can't even remember what they were now. Because I was, I was always into continuing education. Yeah. I took acting for the camera. I studied voiceover. I, everything, if it fits if I'm able to fit it into my schedule, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So I studied it, and I can tell you the A from the B from the C. I can yeah. look at it now and tell you that, but yeah, earlier on, I didn't know. So how are you, when someone said, when you're learning how to sing or you're you're in a chorus and they're saying, sing an A, mm-hmm. how do you know that that's an A? Now, I would have to, because I don't have perfect pitch. Okay. Some people have perfect pitch, like a couple of people I know, they can hear a note and tell you what that is. Okay. I, that I'm not that. Mm-hmm. What I can do is go to the piano, hit an A, and you sing that. Mm-hmm. I'm relative, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, I find that fascinating. And so you mentioned sort of your love of lifelong learning, and, mm-hmm. and I'm the same. I love to learn new things. And that, hence the classical guitar, right? I was like, I really want to learn 
how to play an instrument. And I worked at a school and we had, we had all these different instruments that kids would learn, but then you could just, we had a few days a week, a guitar teacher come in and was teaching the kids. And so I would just in my free period when I was teaching, mm-hmm. I would just go and get a lesson and et cetera. And I was, but it was great. And it was, but it was also gave me such an appreciation for people who are phenomenal musicians because you realize the time that it takes to be good at it is exponential. I once read this quote mm-hmm. from Yo-Yo Ma. Mm-hmm. Well, someone said to him, I would give my life to play the cello like you. And he said, I have given my life to play the cello like this. <laughs> it was just a great line. So I imagine that in the acting and singing professions, especially when starting out, rejection is something that everyone encounters. What has helped you believe in yourself and remain confident enough to overcome those obstacles and challenges? people supporting me. Mm. I can't do it by myself. There were times, one thing I have to say, I have never said I'm quitting. Okay. I've never done that out of all these years. And I'm very happy that's in me. But people who have poured into me, people who have supported, people who have talked me off the ledge, as I say, when, when things get a little frustrating and they do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. People don't understand the amount of, I don't want to call it rejection at this point, because I think I'm kind of past that. Mm-hmm. I call it not this way, not now. If you say no to me, it's just, that's not my time. Yeah. And it's okay. But you have to really be secure. They, somebody told me earlier in my career, you really have to be secure in who you are. I don't know why I'm trying to imitate somebody's voice. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> and, and they were so right because you have to know who you are in life, not just in the career, but in life. Be okay with that. Be willing to grow and move it on. So that confidence when you're that young to mm-hmm. be like, I'm okay with this, right? Because even I know people now who are sort of in their 40s and who they don't pursue what they want because they're worried about that fear of rejection or what that will say of about them. But it seems like very early on you, I don't know, overcame it or reframed it. I reframed it more than anything else. And I also told myself, I don't want to live with regret. Mm. My personal mantra is act in the midst of fear. Nice. I don't care. If I, I went, look, I'm not a strong swimmer, but I was in Bermuda once and I went snorkeling. Yeah. Of course, the lifeguard was holding my hand the whole time, but <laughs> I did it. Yeah. I don't care if it's to the top of Mount whatever, Fuji or what. I don't care. I'm going to do it if it's in my heart and head to do it as best I can. And I think that's the difference. I'm not trying to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't suffer too much from peer pressure that I can remember, but I still love to do the things that I feel are important in my life. And what do you yeah. think gave you that confidence to be confidently you? My mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And what was it that they did? They would say things like, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be, um, even if they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. They used to encourage us travel. Go move. Go live somewhere else so we'll have somewhere to visit. They used to say that all the time. Go live somewhere else so we can visit you, whatever. And and my dad said something that was, I mean, he said so many things. My dad was like a walking book of Proverbs, and I still hear him in my head. But he used to say things like, um, don't do as I do, do as I say do. You buy what you want. You beg for what you need. Uh, But, you know, he just taught us to be independent. Yeah. Five girls. Oh, wow. I I think, (laughs) I know. (laughs) I think sometimes they overcompensated. You know, we turned out pretty good. Yeah. You know, all of us are pretty confident, not overbearing, just kind of, you know, got a little bit of a, a sensibility there.
It's just something that I think a lot about. One, you know, working at schools I have for a long time, but is that one of the things I'm really fascinated by is like how do you unlock human potential, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you meet people who have overcome the most extraordinary circumstances to do extraordinary things, right? And when you think, if you look at their background, you're like, there's no way that that should have been possible. Right, but right. they have been. And there's really interesting research into this, what allows kids to sort of overcome really challenging circumstances. And a lot of it is that they have a trusted person in their life that really believes in them and supports them. And then it's also that you are, then when we work in a, a situation where kids the role models at schools like ours generally are very successful people. And something that thwarts the children is that their role models are so, the parents have been so successful or the people in their lives are so successful that it seems unattainable or the kids think that magically happened and they, they don't have to work to achieve it. And so it's just an interesting to navigate is sometimes that sort of like has kids stuck that, oh, I can't achieve this because... They're living in the shadow or yeah. something or trying to meet meet someone else's expectations. Yeah. I constantly talk to younger people about, okay, look, if you pay more attention to somebody else outside of your own body, mm. you won't discover the potential that may be yeah. sitting there for you to be not the next somebody, mm -hmm. but a new somebody. You yeah. know, for example, let's take basketball. You want to be the next Michael Jordan? But if you're paying so much attention to Michael Jordan, you might be someone to exceed mm, what he did. Nice. But you never know that if you spend time outside of you. Yeah. So I, I constantly tell folks that, that I do a lot of workshops on stage presence. Okay. And the reason why is because I can relate to it. Mm -hmm. I understand what that is. I understand how you have to overcome. And a lot of us feel the imposter syndrome. I try to do, I do my best to be as, as transparent as possible. Mm -hmm. Let me tell my experience so you know, hey, just because I've achieved this doesn't mean I haven't struggled with something mm -hmm. else. You know what I mean? And when we have more conversations and we can communicate about it, you know, with reinforcement and consistency, then they understand, oh, so you're not superhuman. You know, you do have feelings. Yeah. And so talking about stage presence, how mm -hmm. do you help people with that? I look them in the eye first. <laughs> <laughs> I look them in the eye and I let them know I'm on their side. Mm -hmm. And then we can collaborate. Then we can work together. Yeah. And then I can say, okay, what is it? What, what means what to you? What's meaningful? Mm -hmm. Let's work with that. I do my best to pay attention to what their strengths are and pull that out. And, and hopefully give them the, 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 what am I trying to say? Give them the permission to give themselves permission. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. That you can be who you are. Yeah. That's like the, nobody else can be you. That's special. Yet at the same time, it's really hard to be yourself, or not you being yourself. I mean, like it's <laughs> it really, really with, with young people in, I yeah. remember going through this and it wasn't until I, I moved, I took a gap year, lived overseas for a year between high school and college and then went to college and was like, found my people. But really mm -hmm. for the first 18 years of my life, like I, I just didn't feel comfortable being me. Well, I think that yeah. I think that's a natural thing though. Yes. You know, and, and to that's what I'm saying when we communicate, let people know that's normal for that period yeah. of your life. Yes. It's not you're not some alien. Yes. It's okay. You'll it'll it'll come together. Believe me, trust me, I know. And I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you why I know. Because I thought uh, <laughs> I felt like the strangest person growing through adolescence. I felt like the strangest person. I felt like I was always on some other drumbeat. 
Mm. You know what I mean? I yeah. always felt that. Now, I didn't talk about it too much, yeah. but that's how I felt. So that's why I know when I'm talking to people, I can relate to what they, they probably are feeling. So I talk about it. And how's that received? Right? Because meeting you now, right, you seem very, very comfortable yeah. with being you and everything. It, is it hard for them to believe? Well, I, I think at home, yeah, it's hard for them to believe. When I, one of the first questions I lead with is, how many people think that I'm shy? And no, they're like, yeah, yeah, right, sure, no, you're never. I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm very reserved. I was always talkative at home. I was very present in school, mm -hmm. but I had this side, this particular part of me that was always not confident. I think I had low self-esteem. Yeah. But don't we all yeah. at some point? Yeah. I just, but when you're in your own head, you think you're the only one. Mm -hmm. So. And so just talking more broadly about stage presence, like, I guess, what do you see as the the few keys that unlock that to, for people? I mean, you must have seen it where suddenly they've gone from like, oh, I can't do this. This is not for me to exceeding their own expectations. What do you think are the things that allow that to, to, to blossom? Just being consistent, letting someone know that you're on their side okay. so they can feel safe to trust you. And you can't rush it. Because everybody's got their own little timing mm -hmm. uh, of of opening up or whatever, the, you know. You got you got to think about their experiences. So meeting people where they are to understand more about their background, more mm -hmm. what makes them tick, yeah. what their desires in life and their dreams and aspirations are. I want to know that kind of information. I'm not just trying to come and lecture you. Yeah. I want I want to know you so I can help you be the best you. But you got to be consistent. You got to let people know you you can trust them. Like that's an incredible approach, right? In whatever area of life is that whether whatever you're coaching or teaching people, how did you? I mean, it's very very wise. How did you come by that wisdom? I'm an oldest child. I'm okay. No, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, that's really not guaranteed. <laughs> Could be totally different. I think the upbringing, the people that were around me, mm -hmm. and somewhere you make a decision. You make there's a choice. Everybody has a choice. Things can happen to you, but you have a choice how you're going to deal with it. Mm. And I just think I made the right choices in some some instances. I made the choice to say, you know what? This isn't going to kill me. I used to have mirror talks. And then I think my most significant mirror talk that I remember, I was in high school. And I remember saying, you're going to have a lot to say when you grow up. Mm. <laughs> I wish people could see my face, the face I just made. Yeah, I, it was priceless. It, it was crazy because... I. It's like I just knew it, mm. but you never know the context. Of, I didn't remember. I didn't even understand what the context would be. Okay. I do. I do audio books. I do commercials. I do cartoon characters. I do video games. I talk a lot. Yeah. I have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh wow, that came to fruition. So, yeah, the mirror talks have helped me, and I started back doing my mirror talks, especially during the pandemic. And what do you mind me asking? What you said? Yeah, I look into my eyes. Mm -hmm. I just look, and I say, okay. Self-reflection time. What is it that you need to work on? What have you grown into? Who do you love? I mean, I just go through these things yeah. and talk to myself. Like, just love more. Be kind. Be kinder. You know, be more excellent. I don't think I've ever met someone who's done this. Like, I, a number of years ago, mm -hmm. probably 20 years ago, got really into work of Tony Robbins, right? And I love his stuff and... There's a great documentary called like I'm Not Your Guru or something on Netflix about I've him. Seen, I've, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking yeah, about. But he, uh, in that, he talks about that. And it was, so this is probably, well, I don't know, man, like so long ago, 15 years ago or something. And I started in one of the books he mentioned to do that or audio books or whatever it was, courses. 
And it was something like, every day in every way I'm getting better and better, right? And that I'd say that like a handful of times in the morning. And it felt sort of weird at first, but then like, it just felt natural after a while because you don't really normally see yourself, right? Yeah. And so then, uh, anyway, so it's something that I've not really spoken to anyone about well, before. Listen, I'm glad you've come out with that. Because yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, I, I actually tell people, I say, look what you do. You get a little list, you write five things down, yeah. and you say, I am, and fill in the blanks. Yes. And you say it out loud because there. now let me go back to my science background. Mm -hmm. There is something real about when you push air out of your body. Interesting. Yeah. I call your name. Mm -hmm. You're going to recognize your name. Yes. I'm pushing molecules. I'm pushing air, right? Mm -hmm. So that energy is very important. And so when you speak it out, not just read it and because this goes with voiceover work too. I have to exercise my mouth and tongue. I over-articulate sometimes, and sometimes I don't. But just the exercise of it all makes things real. I used to put these affirmations on my refrigerator, and I would say them out loud. I am beautiful. I am lovable. I am funny. I am this and whatever. You believe it. Yeah. Because you're saying it. It's coming back to your eardrums. It, it means something. When did you begin collaborating with Noel Friedline? And how did this come about? That's a really interesting question. There's a running joke. Noel and I have been performing together, working together for about 12 years now. Oh, wow. In Noel's mind, it's five. <laughs> He's been saying five years for the past five years. And I'm like always correcting him. I'm like, no, Noel, no. So yeah, I think it's been about 12 years now. And we met, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, I think. I can't remember now, maybe Atlanta. I don't know. I live out of a suitcase sometimes. They brought me in to perform at the Beckler Museum uh, in Uptown Charlotte. And Noel is the one that plays for that. And so when I was there, I was like, okay, I like the way he plays. He's, yeah, I like him. But his name his, and reputation had preceded him. Someone said, if you, if you want a wonderful musician in Charlotte, Noel Friedline's your guy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And when I met him, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard a lot about you, la, 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 la. And we keep going. But it became the Noel and Maria show artistically. And everybody was like, okay, look, you and this is, no, no, there are other people. On, I was like, oh, my God, I love his playing. So after that, he had a, a regular performer, a singer, who relocated to Hawaii. And Noel's like, hey, look, my singer's moving, relocating. I got this X amount of, you know, gigs. Can you do them? I'm like, okay. I did them. That was it. Twelve years later, here oh, we wow. are. Yeah. And you've recorded, what, what have you done together? We've recorded, oh my gosh, uh, we've recorded two CDs. He already had a series of recordings. So we did Old Devil Moon and we did a Christmas CD, which mm -hmm. was a holiday CD, which is really, really beautiful. And uh, we've done many whew, concerts, many. We perform regularly at several jazz venues around the region. And when the pandemic hit, Noel and I did 13 straight Wednesday nights of Notes for Middle C, that's what we called it, because we couldn't go out and perform. And the first week, I think about seven or 8,000 people tuned in. Isn't yeah. that amazing? And now, to date, it's about 18,000. Yeah. And it became a popular little series. I, we enjoyed it. It kept me sane. I don't know about everybody else, but people are still talking about it. And if people want to come and see you perform, where can they do that generally? And it depends on which city we, we perform in Jackson. Here in Charlotte. In Charlotte, North Carolina. Middle C Jazz. Okay. Middle C Jazz in Uptown Charlotte. Yeah. We are so glad to have you here at Davidson Day as a chorus teacher. What are some of the highlights you've experienced so far? Oh, my God. Okay. Let me, let me shrink that list. The fact that I can walk into a door 
of a wonderful institution and get to do what I love. Mm. That is first. I wake up every day going, I'm bragging to all of my friends. Yes, I'm a chorus teacher. <laughs> Middle <laughs> so school. So cool. Yes. Yes, I am. Looking into their eyes, because it's like we've been here at this point about five weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing differences in eyes. That is exciting to me. I count the little wins. I'm not trying to conquer everybody. Yeah. I'm not trying to be your best friend. I want to be that person that when you, 20 years down the road, you go, you know, she really cared about me. That excites me. Yeah. Because I know that the, I may not even be here to see all that, mm -hmm. but the fact that I've planted a seed, that means a lot to me. Yeah. And to get to work with Noel, because he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he is one amazing musician and human being. I love his family. They've all contributed to my life and career. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very smart people, very, very kind people. And to be able to, like I said, it's not even work. Yeah. I feel like, am I really working today? No, I'm not. I'm planting seeds. Yeah. I'm planting seeds. And that, that, that makes me happy. That's one of the coolest things about working with young people is that the results aren't always evident right away. Mm -hmm. I worked at an all boys school in Australia and we had a, a head of school who was, she's retired now, but she's incredible. And she, what she used to say is that the, uh, something along the lines of the, the seeds you plant now, might, you might see the, the growth in six months, in a year, but sometimes it might be years later, right? And she, and it was just a really powerful thing to hear because I was pretty young at the time in my mid-20s and mm -hmm. just like, oh, yeah, it doesn't have to be instantaneous. And then you're right, like you think this kid at fifth grade, they mightn't have been sort of that together or that organized and they go <laughs> on and do extraordinary things. And it just and one of the people I used to work with also used to say, where a child is at like third grade, fourth grade is a predictor of nothing you know and so because you're just you're doing like you're just planting those seeds yeah and that's part of the reason why i make sure i stay in touch with my teachers mm. i need them to know what happened oh that's beautiful when, when i mentioned my high school choir mm -hmm. teacher one time i had a concert at the beckler and i got a limousine send it to gastonia my hometown which is about 30 miles something down the road and i had my mom a couple of her friends my aunt and my high school teacher that's awesome the limousine went around and picked everybody up Brought them to the concert. I did not know that was her first and only limousine ride in her life. That's impressive. I cried. Yeah. Of course, she stood up and being the teacher that she was, she projected over about 300 to 400 people and told them, this is what really brought it home for me. She told them, Maria was very shy in high school. Yeah. Nobody believed it. And they were like, what? She was very shy. But one thing Maria did, she always tried to make that next note better than the last one. I don't even remember that, yeah. but she instilled that, you know? And that's so beautiful. that's part of the reason why I want to make sure my teachers know. Anybody that's poured into me, I want to let them know. As you say that, I realize I haven't done that enough. Like, <laughs> there's plenty of people who, I mean, the, Rowena, who I was just talking about, or mm -hmm. others. Or I, I mean, some I've been better at sort of telling them how much they've impacted me, whether as an adult or, or whatever, but it's something that I probably don't do enough. That's a good lesson for all of us is reach out to those who have impacted us and, and let them know. I had some rapid fire questions we'll, we'll okay. ask in a few minutes, but I just have just some like random questions, right? Okay. Is what's it like being on a set, on a TV set or a movie set? Depending on the set. Okay. <laughs> if it's a movie or a TV show. Okay. This is Maria's experience and her POV, her point of view. Very 
Technical. Oh, okay. Very technical. I'm a heady kind of specific, meticulous kind of person. You make quick relationships. You're in hair and makeup. Boom. You know who you're going to be dealing with. The director. You make connection with the director. You make connection with the assistant director, with wardrobe. With there's so many moving parts, and you got to be. You got to know where you're mm-hmm. supposed to be because you get this thing called a call, called a call sheet. So you know what what you got to do the next day. Yeah. And so, who? It's like you think you're sitting on set just having some snacks and what? No. Especially during COVID, it's a different kind of industry now and in, in set life, as we call it, hashtag set life. You got to stay in your corner because they've got us in zones. A zones are like the director, the uh, the actors, because you're up close proximity. Mm. Then you've got the B zone, which are the camera people and some other folks. And, you know, so it's, it's broken down into different compartments. It's work. It's technical work. You got to get wired up with a microphone. You got based on your wardrobe is where they're going to place that microphone with a little pack and everything. So it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So another question I have, I'd heard a lot about you, but then I saw you in action last year when you started helping out, when we brought the performances back and you were helping out with that. Yes. And what struck me was just how well you connected with the kids and what do you think it is that you do that makes them feel so comfortable and allows you to have that connection? They're all taller than me. Okay. I'm just, that's pretty much it. No, You're not intimidating, intimidated <laughs> at all. Yeah, okay. Now, seriously, I think it's just the fact that my spirit lets them trust me. Mm. I've always had, a, I think that's one of the things that I'm very proud of in my life, that people have always trusted me. Okay. Because I'm trustworthy. Yeah. I mean it. You know, the, and plus I have people's secrets I'm going to take to my grave. Um, no, seriously. <laughs> I, I just think that I'm I'm loyal that yeah. way. It was a little bit disconcerting because, and this is because how accomplished you are, mm-hmm. right? I, I expected there to be a little bit of arrogance or hubris <laughs> or whatever. And there was just, there was none of that, <laughs> right? And so it was just... It was really amazing. Like, so for our kids to have the access to you and getting your advice mm-hmm. and you you being so open-hearted and warm, it's such a gift. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to let them see that. Yeah. That's another seed to plant. Yeah. You know what I mean? The fact that I grew up in humble situations. I mean, I didn't, we weren't rich or anything. Yeah. I was rich in a lot of love. Of now course. I'm going to give it that. And that's so cliche. I love that. But it's the truth. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of material things. So maybe because I used to have this fantasy. I was like, oh, I know my mom and dad, when I turn 18, I know they're going to reveal that we're really rich. Uh, <laughs> okay. 18, 19, I know they're going to reveal that we're really rich. Wow. Okay. Let me push that to 21. The point I'm trying to make is <laughs> they taught us value. Yeah. And that's just who I am. Yeah. I don't know any different. Yeah. So I'm thrilled that, well, <laughs> one, that you were helping out anyway before sort of being employed here sort of mm-hmm. um, part-time, but we're so glad that you're here. So Thank you. And moving on to, we have just a few rapid fire questions okay, before I'm ready. we wrap up. So the first one is, what is the book or books you most frequently recommend to others? Oh, God. Uh, boundaries. Oh, I I've not heard of it. Boundaries. And I can't remember the author's That's name fine. right this moment. What's yes. it about? Imagine it's, it's about, about boundaries. It's about boundaries. I had boundary issues and didn't know I had them. It doesn't mm. mean that you have walls up. I didn't have enough boundaries. Yeah. So it's one or the other. Yeah. 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 And what are some things that you love doing in your free time? Gardening. 
what type? There's many different types of gardening okay, yeah, I've, learned out, I've learned out. I've learned. I don't garden over time. I've learned that there's a whole there's a whole universe. And I'm no expert. I, but what I type learned of gardening? Yeah, flowers. I oh, love okay. planting flowers and herbs. Mm-hmm. I I grow like cilantro, which is one of my favorite yeah. uh, favorite things to put in my eggs. <laughs> I grow rosemary. I grow peppermint. Mm-hmm. And I also grow flowers, but I'll change my flowers out. It's like, okay, look, that's not working well. I'm going to get a new flower. So I'm going to start. Over. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm into learning as I go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And what's the most surprising flower, I guess, in any way you want to take that, that you've grown? Mm. African. I want to say magnolias, but I can't remember the name of the flower that fast because they're so pretty and so colorful. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave that. But the biggest accomplishment I had was drawing hummingbirds to my yard. <gasps> I love hummingbirds. I did the hummingbirds. I'm going to mess this statistic up, <laughs> but it was something I, I saw it once on a, like a, a documentary about hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. They said that, I'm going to get this wrong, so, so <laughs> scientists out there, well, you're a scientist, but it was something like if human beings use as much energy as hummingbirds mm-hmm. would sort of like combust after eight minutes. Like they just sort of consume so much I can see that. glucose or something, whatever it was. It's just that they just, they're moving so quickly. And anyway, I just, the I think. Hovering, hum- the, the hovering, the hovering is what gets me because yeah. it's like treading water and you're treading air. <laughs> well, one, flying is like impressive enough, but then hovering, <laughs> flying, like, the, come on, it's just showing off. Um, <laughs> if you could learn a new skill, what would it be and why? Playing piano. Oh, I know a good music teacher. I do too. And I'm going to be getting him for that. (laughs) In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yes. Learning how to say no. It's hard. But it's an anointed word. (laughs) It has saved me heartache. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so important. It's Mm -hmm. so important. And it's something working in schools now for so long is some of the parents of the most open-hearted kids and we've had to talk to them about, right, this is like it's a blessing and a curse, right? Mm -hmm. If you are really giving and loving, Mm -hmm. you have to learn the B word because boundaries are so important because eventually they'll bump into people who who might take advantage of the fact that they don't really have that many boundaries. So that's a great one. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a, a career similar to yours? Learn the business. And what does that mean? Stop wanting to just be a star. Oh, Learn okay. Learn business. Yeah. Because there are things called taxes. There <laughs> are things called <laughs> uh, residuals. There are things called commissions. There are, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there are so many other parts instead of just being a star. That's terrific advice. And the final question is, what inspires you? Being able to get up every day. Air, breathing. Why do you say that? Because for one, I didn't have to wake up. Mm-hmm. And to be able to get up, put my feet on the floor and take a deep breath, because that is so underrated. Yeah. And sleep. Yes. Is underrated. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, Maria, thank you so much for all your time today. I've loved this conversation. I'm sure people listening to it will enjoy it just as much. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm so excited that you're a musician as well. Ah. <laughs> that might be a stretch, but I'm, I'm, I do love it. All right. Thanks. Thank Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Davidson Day School Community Podcast, which is hosted by Pete Moore, head of school at Davidson Day. The podcast is recorded on campus in the heart of the Lake Norman area. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to podcasts at davidsonday.org. That's podcasts at davidsonday.org.